Well, uh, you remember last week we were um, we had finished up the Gospel of Mark, and I spent most of the time reading large sections of that gospel. And I have done this before, actually, to the youth group. I had told you before I had done that, read a large section of Mark. And during the youth group meeting, we had a real nice time afterwards where people were able to talk about their own pride, contrasting it with Jesus' humility and the expectation of our own humility as is clearly outlined in the Bible. So today, hopefully, we're gonna, we'll continue that study on humility. And I'm going to... Um, so we'll continue that study on humility, but um, before I start, I would like to uh, give you a few statistics, and these are statistics or studies that are, have been done in the realm of uh, social psychology. So social psychology is basically a scientific study of how people view themselves, how they, um, what they feel about themselves, comparing it to others how their behaviors compare to other people, um, how they perceive their own self compared to other people or other groups. And they they study these things, and they do surveys, and they ask people questions uh, in comparing. And uh, here's some studies they've done, and uh, I'll just tell you about a few of them. In 1976, the college board attached a questionnaire to a million SAT exams. Prior to the SAT exam, they had a questionnaire. And they asked the students to rate themselves compared to the median score, what they thought a median score would be on areas like leadership and ability to get along with others. So when they gave those people the questionnaire, they said, how many of you think you have better leadership skills than average? So 70% said they have better skill than average, which can't be true, right? Because average would be 50%. So that's just one small example of how People, we tend to think of ourselves as above average. They asked them, how well are you able to get along with others? What percentage do you think said they're better than average at getting along with others? It was higher, it was 85%. So 85% said, I'm better than average at getting along with other people. 25% said they were in the top 1%. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, that's just a study that has done. And so the point there is... Most of us tend to think of ourselves as nice people. We can get along with others much better than they can get along with us. Another study, 1977, they asked college professors about their IQ. And they said, how is your IQ compared to the average among your peers of college professors? How many do you think said they were above average in IQ? 94%. So... But think about that. That's pretty high, right? Um, another college entrance exam asked people to rate themselves on their ability um, to get along with others, and 0% said they were below average. So are you below average? 0% said they were below average in their ability to get along with others. 60% said they were in the top 10%, 25% in the top 1%. Business managers rate themselves on their performance compared to their peers as a manager. Nine out of ten said they're better than average. So you get the point, right? Uh, it's pretty universal. And this demonstrates what? What's a biblical word this demonstrates? Pride, Pride right. So it's a universal truth that we are prideful people. Um, it's called also sometimes the above average effect. We all think we're above average in things. It's also called the Lake Wobegon effect. 
Do you know what the Lake Wobegon, do you guys know about oh. Garrison Keeler and Lake Wobegon? He grew up in Minnesota, you do. Well, you don't know of them? Oh, young people. So uh, Garrison Keeler has a radio show. It's been on, on uh, public radio for I don't know how many years, 30 or 40 years, longer than that. And uh, it's a fictional tale of this town in Minnesota? Yeah, Lake Wobegon. It's a fictional town. It's so popular, though, people think it's a real town, Lake Wobegon, but it's not. It's a fictional town. So if you ever listen to NPR, you, I don't know, do you know what time of day or week it's on now? It's on every week. It's weekend, yeah. Saturday night, maybe? I think it's Saturday afternoon or evening, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's sort of funny, and he, he sort, of, sort of tells stories about people in Lake Wobegon. And the intro to that uh, show is famous, if you ever listen to it, and it goes like this. Welcome to Lake Wobegon where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. <laughs> so that phrase has become so popular that uh, this above-average effect is sometimes called the Lake Wobegon effect because of the popularity of that show. So the point being, uh, all the studies reveal that we are prideful. Um, we're arrogant, we're haughty, we tend to lift ourselves up. Jonathan Edwards says, Alas, how much pride have the best of us in our hearts. How much pride have the best of us in our hearts? It's the worst part of the body of sin and death, the first sin that ever entered the universe, and the last that is rooted out. It is God's most stubborn enemy. So last week when we studied through Mark, or summarized Mark, we saw such a clear contrast of Jesus' humility throughout his earthly ministry, contrasting it with our pride in the people who ultimately rejected Christ. And some of the verses that highlighted that, Isaiah 53, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. So today we're going to study humility. And Webster defines it as the quality or state of not thinking you're better than other people. Or not proud or arrogant. Modest, low in rank, or importance, or status. Thinking of yourself as lowly. That's being humble. William Farley, in this book he's written called Gospel-Powered Humility, and I think we have it in our church library. I think this is where I got it. Yellow book, uh, William Farley. It's a really, really nice book about humility. But he defines uh, humility as the capacity to see spiritual reality, to see things as they really are. It's the capacity to see myself in God's light in the context of His holiness and my sinfulness. It is the ability to see ourself and this world through God's eyes. And he calls it the indispensable virtue. And so many uh, famous theologians have commented on humility, our lack of it. It's the most important virtue for us to try to attain and, or recognize that we don't have in ourselves. So we're going to spend some time this morning uh, going through a couple lessons on humility. Before I do that, let me read a half a page of different quotes from the Bible about uh, humility. Exodus 10.3. This is about Pharaoh, who is one of the, uh, I guess, epitomizes pride, right? Pharaoh who would not relent, would not let the Jewish people go despite all the plagues and all the curses. He, he just was so prideful. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, 
How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. The Bible tells that God uh, used that difficult time for the Jews to humble them. Deuteronomy 8.2, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So God uses difficult circumstances in order to humble us. He humbled you and let you be hungry. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So the humble person understands we live by God's provision. We don't live without him. Psalm 18 says, For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. So God saves the humble and brings down the proud. Psalm 25, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Proverbs 11, when pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. James 4, 6, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4, 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And in Isaiah 66, 2, For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. Who will he look to? To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. So, with that brief survey, is there any question that we Christians are to be humble. There's no question about it. It's everywhere in the Bible. It's the, it's the greatest virtue that we should understand and aspire to, really, because the Lord blesses the humble. That's who he looks at, those who are humble and contrite. But we're not humble. We are not humble people. We Christians, Americans, Christians, sinners, anyone in the world, we exalt ourselves every single day. Constantly, we exalt ourselves. And I think even in our culture, maybe it's been this way in all cultures, but it is just so inbred in our culture to exalt ourselves. And I hope to show you that you know, as we go through some of this lesson today. It's been a blessing to me to go through this this week because if you sit down and think about... I'll have examples for you just this week, things that happened to me. I was like, man... It, that reflex pride is, it's right there. And you've been a Christian for 20 or 30 years and you just constantly have this reflex of pride and lack of humility. So I think we have to recognize it and it, you, you can't exhaust the efforts you, would put, you can put into um, studying your own lack of humility. Those efforts will be worth it. So, I have a few uh, tips for us, and we're going to go through a few verses here, and we'll hopefully answer the question, how can we become humble? The first thing, uh, and we'll look at Hebrews 12, I'll just read that for you, you don't have to flip there, it's the first four verses of Hebrews 12, but the first point is, fix our eyes on Jesus. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin, so I think that is a real imperative, lay aside the encumbrances, lay aside the sin, which easily entangle us, 
Let's run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's all these action verbs. Lay it aside, run, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So there, another example, we set our eyes on Christ. What did he do? He had joy because he knew what was coming ultimately. That's what helped him endure in his human state on earth. He endured the cross, he despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In verse 3, For consider him who's endured such hostility. Well, I take that word consider him to mean uh, let's consider him. We need to spend time thinking about Jesus. Don't be flippant about it. Let's consider him, think about Jesus, read the Gospels, read about him, learn about his nature, understand what he did, consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. If you consider Jesus, like we did last week, in those last two chapters of Mark, and you see what he went through in complete rejection and rejection and rejection by all those people, yet he endured, he continued. If you think on that, then what will happen, you won't grow weary at your own trials and problems because ours are nothing. They're, they're trivial. So, consider him so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. You've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood and striving against sin. So, just, I think, one practical suggestion for us is uh, learn about Jesus. Read about him in the Bible. Consider him. Be diligent about it. He's in the Bible. We have the Bible, so we have to read it. And we did that last week. So this week, I'd like to use, uh, to uh, support that, a section of Scripture, John chapter 13. I'll ask you to flip there because we'll spend a few minutes. So John 13 is the description of the Lord's Supper and uh, Jesus' great object lesson of, for his disciples. Uh, this is where he washes their feet. And what I want to do is I'll read through those first 20 verses. And then we'll go back through it. And as I read through it, um, just be thinking about uh, what things Jesus did and said that are um, helpful to us about learning about humility. So, uh, John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper... The devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel which he, with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, 
needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he'd washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So, there's a lot in there that Jesus is teaching his disciples through this object lesson of washing their feet. Um, anyone want to start listing some of the things you learned from that, that, that Jesus did to them? That, and I've got a list here. I'll check it off if, if you say something. Go ahead. Um, I don't, I, if I could, I'd just like to perhaps, uh, point out perhaps a, a correlation that I... I noticed for the first time there in Jesus washing their feet and then Peter's question about, you know, go ahead and wash my whole body then. Um, and if you recall Paul's, the Apostle Paul's teaching in regards to putting on the whole armor of God and finally the your feet being the, the readiness of the gospel mm-hmm. and the good news um, and how we are cleansed through his blood, washed in the blood, um, we dwell with the Holy Spirit, but then we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and have the feet of readiness to preach mm-hmm. the good news and share our mm-hmm. faith and hope. And so um, it's wonderful. And he says also, uh, yeah, blessed are the feet of those that, that's, you know, missionaries, mm-hmm. uh, evangelists. So um, it's wonderful that Jesus took that opportunity and didn't just, I mean, you are washed, you've been bathed, and so wash your feet, prepare yourself um, to spread the good news. Yeah, I think, very good, thank you. He used, Jesus uses uh, the imagery of washing a lot, he uses uh, parts of our body is a uh, uh, important imagery also, and we're going to talk in a minute about what he really meant by washing the whole body versus just the feet, but... Um, it is a powerful image. First of all, I guess we'll, if we want to stick with the feet, you'll know that in that culture, first of all, uh, you go to a dinner, you wash your whole body first. Walking in the dirt on your sandals makes your feet dirty. So it's customary, it's proper, it's appropriate. When you enter a home, you would wash your feet. It was considered an extremely menial task for someone else to wash your feet. It was so menial that back then the... Um, the Jewish slaves were not even allowed to do it. They would have a Gentile slave wash someone's feet. So it was a true sign of utter humility for someone to wash someone else's feet. Thus, 
the contrast, thus Peter's shocked when Jesus girds himself with a towel, bends down and gets the basin of water and starts washing his disciples' feet. Um, and we'll actually get to that It's not in a minute. But, um, but so it's ex- extremely humble for Jesus to do that. And it, it shocked the disciples who saw it. They, they probably didn't know. And Peter exclaimed, you know, you're not going to wash my feet. That is just too much for his brain to figure out at that point in time. But to back up just a little bit and just to, to go, anything else you guys noticed about the, uh, the text that you learned about um, humility before I get into my list? There's a lot there. One thing in verse 3 that is interesting is Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So he, he was about to do this in kind of a state of, I know this, this is about to be finished. Yeah. And the Father's already put all these things in my hand. His reaction to that was then to, yep. to begin to wash the feet. Yeah, that's sort of my first point is, is remarking about Jesus' obedience to his Father. True sign of humility, complete obedience, and understanding God's sovereign will and what was about to happen. But he accepted his mission. I said, the hour had come. I obey. I'm going to serve them a lot more than washing their feet in, in a few hours or in a couple days. So Jesus' obedience is a good example to us. He obeyed what the Father had given. It was into his hands, so it was accepted. He followed it. The joy set before him. So that's one mark of humility is we do what God wants us to do, nothing else. We follow the Lord's lead. If it says in the Bible to do something, we know where to do it, and we don't do it. That's sin, that's pride, that's myself above God. That's to be wiped away from our minds and our actions. So number one I had is obedience. Anything else is a mark of humility. Mm-hmm. I want you to see, you know. Yep. So setting example and go and do likewise, we follow him. And we all do it. And when we get into Philippians, we'll talk, Paul mentions a lot. If there's anything you do, you know, I'll be unified in faith, love each other. It's all of us doing this together so we can be an example to others and set an example. Very good. Anything else is a mark of humility. In verse 7, Jesus says that, you know, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you'll understand. And so kind of going along with obedience, we don't also have to know, right. you know, the, the reason why. Um, mm-hmm. And that oftentimes makes it clear. Yes. So to put it another way, sometimes we might make an excuse if we haven't got it all sorted out and what if, what if, what if, I can't do that, then maybe sometimes it's humble to obey and we may understand later. Is that sort of what you're saying? That might help us? Yeah, well, I mean, whether we know or not, at this time, then he just says, you know, you don't know why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm making an example, but it will be clear to you. Yep. There's oftentimes in life that obedience is hard, especially when mm-hmm. you don't understand. Yeah. Exactly. Very good. Anything else? When it talks about he redeemed his clothes, or he went back and sat down. I mean, we had gone to this um, thing, I can't think, at Simba Grange, like the whole 
I read in Acts for the Last Supper, and so I talked to us about how it was real important where everybody sat. It was a place of honor, and then there was the lowest place, and it was all very much ranked about where you said I didn't realize all hmm. that. And um, so he was, Jesus was really the guest of honor, so he would never have washed anybody's feet. And so I, I'm assuming, I don't, I don't know where he sat, but they said this is where he should have sat. Uh -huh. They told us kind of, and then the person of lowest rank that was in there, which I think would have been like the youngest mm -hmm. person, he would have been serving everybody. Right. Yeah, and I, and I, yeah, I don't know where he would have sat either. I'm not familiar with that, but it, it seems like he destroyed all that um, pecking order yeah. by assuming this this uh, humble position of of a slave washing their feet. I don't know something that jumped out at me was just uh, uh, like I guess it's in that umbrella of obedience, but just the trust uh, in his father, and then even how he uh, directed the disciple because he could have. I mean, I, you, you think. Um, he knows that the devil's entered into Judas, or mm -hmm. he's put into his heart to do this. He tells them that not all of them are clean. Um, but, you know, had he divulged enough information, I mean, Peter would have probably chopped off Judas's head. Right. You know what I mean? And everybody yeah. would have tried to stop the Father's will. Yeah. Yep. And so even even understanding uh, the wickedness present and, uh, and all that, and I know this is God, so he understood even why. You know, mm -hmm. Judas was going to do what Judas did, but still, even in that, he, um, it's just a trust uh, in his father's plan, and even his father's plan to use wicked men doing wicked things, uh, even against uh, some of his sheep here, yep. and in trust, trusting in that. I don't know, it's just, that's big. It is huge. I mean, since we're on Judas and Satan and all that, <laughs> I mean, you just think about the humility of Jesus. So Judas has been with him all these years. He allowed Judas to participate in all these free food and watch all the miracles and be part of the ministry. Judas was one of the ones that was sent out. I assume he somehow was able to perform miracles or be with his partner who performed miracles. I don't know exactly. But Judas was one of the 12, right? Intimately involved with Jesus. And then the, we read it last week. Uh, he's so wicked. Satan is in him. He is so proud, so wicked, takes the money, come, here's where he is, kisses Jesus. It's so awful. It's so, and then right here at the Last Supper, Jesus is washing his feet. But there's, no, there's humility in Christ's treatment of Judas, complete humility. And so that's a great example to us. Um, that's not how I treat people that I'm angry at, at all. Even So we'll get to that in a minute, but... It's not how we treat people that we don't like at all. Our pride comes in, our own selfish motives, our desire for justice, all that enters into our, our heart, and it's, it's not humble. It says uh, one thing that also sticks out is that he loves his own. He, he, he did this because he loved them. So love for other people makes us humble because if we love someone else, we'll do what is right for them, what is good for them, and in Jesus' case, what he wanted to do and what the Lord wanted him to do so he loved his own he came to them it seems like in some way he loved his enemy to me this is a poignant demonstration of loving your enemy Judas is his enemy and he's he's washing his feet so that's another uh, example of humility for us Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's 
saw this, he was intentional about it. Very much so, yes. If I could add to that too and point out perhaps the significance in verse 4, he rose from the supper and then he actually put off, he laid aside his outer garments, took a towel, a rag, um, and wrapped it around himself. Um, that humility, um, I mean, he was truly God and then put on um, a towel to then wipe away the dirt uh, from the disciples' feet. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful picture there. It is a beautiful, intentional picture. And it actually, I think, is an allusion to him putting off himself mm -hmm. at the cross. Amen. It's an allusion to it because it's going to happen in a few days. And then really cleansing us by his blood. Right, so, there, so there's that uh, connection with the imagery. Um, the, the whole cleansing image, I mean, is not, is, as Brian had mentioned too, he's, um, this is a time where he, he's cleansing them and Judas is going to be kicked out. So the ones left are going to be clean, but Judas is, is not going forward, going to be one of them any longer. His servanthood to others, obviously, is a sign of humility. Extreme, lowly posture. We already talked about that. His patience with Peter is another sign of humility. You know, Peter, just, and we're going to talk, I hope we have time, wow, um, to talk about Peter. But um, in this case here, how typical for Peter, right? He's this pendulum swinging back and forth. He says, um, he goes to wash his feet. Yeah, he says um, in verse 7, what I do you don't realize now, but you'll understand later. Peter says, never are you going to wash my feet. That's too low. That's, that's, he can't get his head around it. And he said, uh, yes. Um, and Simon Peter said, verse 9, Lord, then wash not just my feet, wash my whole body basically, my head and my hands. So, you could spend a lot of time discussing what this really means, but basically Peter couldn't understand that. He said, well, if it's going to be like this, you should just wash my whole body. And, and rather than Jesus sort of rolling his eyes like I would do, say, oh, Peter. You know, that's what, I would, that's what the prideful reaction would be. It's like, really? Do you have to go that far? Can't you just, you know, go along with the lesson here I'm trying to show you? Um, but seriously, Jesus doesn't even seem to be like that. It's another teaching point. He's going to teach Peter, he's going to be the leader of his church soon, one of the pillars of the church, and he says, um, no, basically, what's going on here, you'll see the rest of the verse, this, this is a lesson for you of how to be a humble servant to others. And what you're talking about, he uses that as a point to say, <coughs> you're already saved, basically. You're already clean, fully. You have been, you know, Satan asked you to be sifted, and I didn't let it happen. Remember earlier on in the Gospels he said that? So he's using this as another opportunity to teach. So I think it shows Jesus' patience with Peter and the disciples and a teaching moment to say, um, this is a lesson to be humble, a lesson for you on how to serve people. Um, you're justified. You're clean already. This is, this is part of your sanctification, basically. It's another way I, I sort of look at it. You'll learn how to be a servant throughout your life and wash other people's feet. Um, and then I think another lesson is not so subtle introducing uh, Judas the betrayer 
as the really prideful guy influenced by Satan. Um, you know, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before stumbling. And there's other times, other uh, texts which tell us basically that Satan is really behind pride. Satan is pride. What Satan wants is to be the king. He wants to be the top. He wants to be the almighty, but he's not going to be. And uh, you see that too when um, in verse, I have Matthew Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So that's prideful. Peter thinks he has it figured out. He thinks he knows what's supposed to happen. He's going to defend him. Remember, he's going to defend him to the end. He's not going to let anything happen. He said, everyone else will fall away. I will not. This is never going to happen. God forbid it. And then verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me. He says, Satan. So that's Satan talking. That's a prideful Satan entering Peter's mind somehow. You are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's, which is the root of pride. We put our interest on man's interest and our own interest and not God's. Yes. Yes, you mentioned Lucifer. I'm going to see if I have those verses here. I don't think I do. Um, but in Isaiah, there's a verse about Lucifer, and then there's another one in Ezekiel, and in both those times, I had, I thought I'd print them out. Um, yeah, thank you. Give me a second, because um, it's really good. I want to point out that uh, several times when the devil, or Satan, Lucifer is mentioned, uh, that's what I'm trying to say, is it's linked with the, the word, the most high. Okay, so basically making the point, like when the, in Mark, when Jesus uh, cast out a demon, the demon said, I know who you are, you're the, you're the most high. So Satan's real sensitive to that word, the most high, and he uses it a few times because that's his soft spot. That's what he wants to be. And that's why he, he recognizes Jesus as God the most high. Um, and another thing he does too in Revelation 12, it talks about him being the accuser of the brethren. He's a accuser of the day and night before the Lord. Yes. Not only does he want to be most high, but he accuses all those who have been chosen by most high to, yep. and, and to, to deride their name and to, you know, and, yep. and Jesus Christ is the defender, like John, 1 John mm-hmm. 1, 2, or whatever it says. Yep, so Satan wants to be the most high. It's not going to happen. I have that Isaiah verse. Let me read it for you. Uh, this is Isaiah talking about Saint Lucifer. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, this is what he's talking about, Lucifer, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So that's, that's the heart of uh, Satan. What verse is that, That's uh, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. 
So I think w the point, we, we've made it, uh, the ultimate, not the ultimate, but one of the key demonstrations of Jesus' humility is his washing the disciples' feet. And that's uh, John 13. Any other thoughts about that? I, I Go ahead. Mm -hmm. um, it's that strong, so I totally see that. And, um, when I picture Christ, I, I picture him more than being humble. He is humility. Yeah. He is the picture of humility mm -hmm. that we, you know, he's our example. And lastly, Peter. Um, you know, we can read about Peter, and we can shake our heads, and, but then we're just like Peter. You know, he would probably be doing the exact same thing. Yep. So it's it's, it's humbling to. Yeah, I've got a whole rest of my talk today about Peter. Um, maybe I can come back. I noticed in this verse, Matthew 26. Yep. I don't know if anybody else noticed it, but um, the woman who wipes his feet with her hair mm -hmm. is right before the Lord's Supper in this passage. Yeah. And she's washing his feet. Right. And remember in another part, not in one of the other Gospels, it says, you didn't even give me water for my feet, but this woman hasn't stopped. Yeah. Kissing my feet and, you know, washing my feet. Right. It's interesting because it's almost like it's repetitive of what we just saw. Yeah. But it's somebody washing Jesus' feet. Yeah. So she had, she was anointing him and she had some insight that others didn't. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, any, anything else about that passage? Let's flip to uh, Philippians chapter 2. I want, I'll read those 11 verses of that first chapter and then just point. Make out some of the same, or um, make some of the same points that John's verse did. Um, it's Philippians two one through eleven. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and this is, yeah, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. So it's sort of like what Ashley was saying. You know, all of us together. Believers, if, if there's anything about us that is godly, make his joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. I was reading James Boyce's commentary on this, and you know he lists here some uh, attributes we strive for. He says, just because he lists them doesn't mean you sort of pick and choose which ones you want. If he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves, that's a 24-7 command, always. We always are supposed to put other people ahead of ourselves. How often do we do that during the day? I, if you're honest, think about your... We'll go, this, this is hardly, so little a time do I do that. Sometimes you say, well, we're going to take a meal to someone. That's great. But day in and day out, when you finish work, what's your first thought? When you have a weekend, what's your first thought? When you have a vacation, when you... I mean, constantly, throughout the day, I'm thinking of myself. When can I get a break? When can I get a rest? When can I do this or that? So, But we're to not think that way. We're to have humble minds regard other people more important than ourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form 
of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That's what Satan didn't like, the, the, the most high name of Jesus, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. especially this time of the year, you deserve this. You should buy this for yourself. You deserve it, you know. Um, or somebody in your life deserves this. And I just, it always reminds me, I don't deserve anything. Mm-hmm. When I see that pop up, it constantly, I just go, no wonder we think this all the time. It's constantly in our face. And yep. we, it causes me, as soon as I see something like that, to pray that I'm not like that. Yep. You know? I hope we're not. I'm too much like that sometimes. Uh, well, maybe since we have a few minutes left, let's uh, tell it. Let's share. What are some common displays that we have of pride? And I'd ask you to think of common displays among this group right here. Not, not unbelievers, not the non-church, but what are some common displays that Christians show frequently of pride? Not giving up your seat in church to somebody else to sit down. Yeah. Something simple like that. Yeah. Very good. Anything else? Go ahead. I know it's been. Uh, it seems like it's always at work in the, his steps' uh, home. Um, in fact, that I mean, whenever you're getting angry um, because someone's not doing something the way you do it the way you think it's right, even just, I'm talking ministry stuff, um, just the fact that you're getting angry is is prideful thinking that, you know, your way or the highway or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but in humiliating yourself and perhaps, uh, you know, giving in and just letting those, just letting those things be, they're not that important, they're, you mm-hmm. know, they're minuscule, um, and then just going about, I mean, if you want change, be uh, a servant in, in the fact that you're going to be an example instead mm-hmm. of um, a domineering leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what about uh, anything, other, other examples? Judging the intention of somebody else's heart, thinking that you know the thoughts of their intentions without talking to them, mm-hmm. and then even acting or speaking on your judgments. Yeah. Even deeper than that, like if you, if sometimes when we assume we know what's in someone else's heart, we make that assumption based on what would be in our heart if we were acting the way they were acting. So it reveals it's like a mirror, yeah, yeah. and uh, we might we want become our own witness. Yeah, that is right. That is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You talked about anger just a second ago, and you know, that, that that reveals a lot. I mean, I'm convicted. I get in the car and get on the road. My road. Yeah. <laughs> Those people aren't doing what I should do and what they should do. So again, it's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, same at work, you know, somebody's not doing something. It's, a, it's an affront to me. Yep. Yeah, and if you pause and think, why would I be angry? There is nothing in that anger other than something's not going the way you want. So it reveals, 
It's your thought, your way. You're not putting their interest above yours. If, so that's you're it. not even considering. Not even thinking of their thought, right. I get mad at inanimate objects. I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> I get mad at a screw that won't go on right or a wrench that won't fit. I get mad at my dog. When it won't, I mean, seriously, so I mean, it sounds funny, but it reveals how, um, how prideful I am that my day should go the way I want it to, period. And so that's one example. A couple more. Let's think of some other comments. When you make a mistake. Hmm? When you make a mistake. Yeah. Uh, it couldn't have been me. I don't make yeah. mistakes like that. Yeah, our defensiveness about everything. I didn't, you know, it's your fault. It's that fault. I didn't make that mistake. You lie about your mistake and say it's not as bad as it really was because you don't want people to know that you're this, that, or the other. Yeah, so that, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Tina, you had one. Even when we're JT and I are serving, you know, it can be sometimes it can be so tasking. And um, JT had a perfect example. He was up there last night before we had our Christmas party at um, our property, and he said, uh, "This lady was saying, where's the Christmas meeting? What is this? What is that?'" And JT came back and he goes, "Oh my gosh, that one lady is up there." And I knew immediately who it was. And then, and you know, you just go, I said, well, I'll tell her. I'll just tell her. She doesn't need to be doing that, you know. And, and then why are we serving there? And I, you know, mm-hmm. the Lord immediately said, how can I feel that way towards somebody who doesn't know the Lord? And why am I really doing this? You know, why are we putting these honors that make, you know, it's nice to make it really nice for these people, but why are we truly there? Mm-hmm. And it's to show Christ. Amen. And if I go to show, if I go and snap at somebody because she wants to know what's being, what food is each food or what the music is, and what is that showing? So then I become prideful that I know how to do this and mm-hmm. just let me do it. And, you know, yep. that is, we, JT and I have to keep ourselves constantly focused on the Lord and while we're serving. Yep. Because it can become pride. Very much so. It's it's right there, isn't it? It's always right there. Someone else. Hold on. Uh, Neil had one. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, was just, I was just trying to think about practically like what washing and serving each other, like washing each other's feet and serving each other. Um, you know, I was just thinking about like bearing each other's burdens. And I, I think as a body of Christ, a lot of times when we each other and, and try to build each other up. We we do it more from like a like a I'm trying to teach you kind of perspective mm-hmm. instead of more from like the washing each other's feet kind of perspective of, of really encouraging each other and and wanting to build each other up. Yep. I had, exactly. Same thought I had. And uh, so it does speak to uh, intimacy of people, right? Because you're not going to wash someone's feet unless you know them well, to use that analogy. So, um, yeah, practically speaking, how do we wash other people's feet? And I think the first step would be getting to know each other better, you know, spending more time with each other, and then really understanding what one's needs are and serving, serving with them, do, serving those people. someone just telling me, you know, even nicely, like, oh, 
should try it this way. You know, just yeah. feeling like, oh, I'm not doing it right. You know, or yeah. just that innate response whenever someone brings anything up that maybe you're not doing correctly or even <coughs> in your life. Couple more. Philippians chapter two, verse three. Yeah. Kind of is the that's the key. To, in Christ, He showed us an example of yeah. what we're to do. He said, "I have to do this." Yeah. He had to do that, and where He's showing us that we have to do that too. And the perfect. I mean, the only way that you can really do that is by counting others more significant than yourself. Yeah. And doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, you know. So showing you, showing that you're humble is the best way, and humble and forgiving, I think, is the best way to show others. So Christ, you know, in yourself, that others will see, you know, we want we want others to see Christ in us, and I, that's the best way you can show Christ mm -hmm. in yourself is by being humble. Yep. When they read that, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. My first reaction is that's impossible. Right. That's my reflex, prideful. Yeah, that's a little hyperbole. About, right? But that just reveals how far I am from being humble. Because uh, I do most things from selfishness. I mean, if you're honest, do you know what I'm trying to say? So we ought to take those words seriously. And uh, it's a heavy burden, right? But it's not so heavy because Jesus says it's not heavy. My burden is light. Amen. So um, we, ought to, we have to be humble people. A couple more. I know I had some quick hands. Go ahead. Um, something that I learned. We've got time. It's only ten after. Humility um, years ago, but it's always stuck with me, and it's a really good way of me to kind of take a temperature of pride in my own mm -hmm. life. Is prayerlessness? You know, how yes. often I'm praying, Thanks. and you know that childlikeness that, that that God requires of us. You yep. know, to be just dependent and reliant on Him for everything. You know, how often am I coming to him and with my needs and praying for others and just being prayerful in general? Um, I know, obviously, when I'm praying less, pride is uh, more yeah. evident in my life, you know, and obviously the opposite would be true as well for humility. So, yep. Yeah. Prayerlessness, yep. So if you're not praying, it implies you got it covered. Yeah, yeah. Right. Out, huh? Sometimes if I'm preparing for a lesson and I'm, I got Rather than pray for 10 minutes, I'll go get another commentary and read it and so I can get a little smarter to answer a question. Now, that's what's going through my mind. I should say, wait a minute. I can't exhaust all this, so I, I should just spend more time praying about it and let God fix it. Jana, you had one? I was just thinking about this time of year um, and the consumer culture that mm -hmm. we all live in. And um, for me, I have these goals of getting things done and getting my list accomplished and getting home where it's peaceful and getting in the right state of mind when Tim comes home, so my eyes aren't spinning in my head, but, you know, when you're in, especially ladies, you're in the checkout line at the grocery store, you know, take a minute and notice the person's name, and just think about, if you're really, if I'm really considering that other's more important than myself, my whole demeanor is going to be different in those moments where I'm just trying to check off my list, and it's all about me and my thing, but we have tons of opportunities at this time of year, which is very hard for the retail what can I tell them what we were talking about I mean along those lines on the way here we're talking about how John and I will go to a restaurant or a, a shopping or something 
and we'll come out and say, ah, customer service there wasn't so good today. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know if we'll come back here again. The waitress wasn't that nice and it took a long time. And it's like our, our attitude is sort of um, to get customer service for me, but that's pride. It should be the opposite. It's like, well, that person looks kind of frazzled today. Maybe I should be extra nice to them and not demand that, you know, I... These are simple things, but I think they definitely reveal where a lot of times in the day our heart is, is not about serving God or serving others. It's about getting our own uh, needs met. I know for me it's kind of the impact of the American dream yeah. on my mind and like creates an impatience that, yeah, for some reason I think I deserve more. And I don't deserve more. Yep. You listen to that in the culture and it impacts me personally. Yep, I think our American culture is uh, powerful. All right, we're going to leave. I'm going to I'm going to summarize it for us. I, I was hoping to to in more detail go through Peter's life because it's pretty fascinating to if you were to study that what he went through. Prideful guy, on and off episodes of real true humility, but then he came right back with his pride again. And ultimately, Peter's life. We know how he ultimately probably died, being crucified upside down. Some of the things he wrote in First and Second Peter tell us that he understands the importance of humility. But uh, to grow in humility, I'll summarize some of our points. Number one, recognize that it is the greatest virtue and you need more of it. You have to recognize you don't have it nearly like you should. You need more of it. That's number one. Number two, look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. Study the Bible. Read the Gospels. Read Philippians chapter 2. Read John 13. Learn about Jesus in the Bible. Consider him. And you'll become more humble because you want to be like him. Look at Peter. Look at his life of sanctification, basically. How the Lord used him and how he was sanctified throughout his life. He was reflexively proud. He failed a lot. He was sanctified. And then four, praise God. Because just like Peter was told um, you know, with a Satan issue, Satan asked to sift you, it's not going to happen. When they said, uh, who do people say that I am? You know, John and all these people, and Peter said, you're the Christ. He said, yes, you know that because God revealed it to you. So praise God that we know it because God reveals himself to us. Ultimately, um, like Paul says in Galatians 2, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that's what allows us ultimately to be sanctified and to become God willing or hopefully more humble Praise him that he's the one who saves us and he's the one who gives us minds and ears and a heart that can follow after him. Okay, anything else real quick? We'll be... Someone once said that the humility is the garden where all other graces grow. Yeah. I don't know either. I like it. I can't end yet. Actually, I've got one more thing to read. Sorry, pause. Let's just take two minutes. It's, it's a Charles Spurgeon. You can't, I mean, you can't go wrong quoting Spurgeon. He's got so many quotes about humility. But this one was really good. For my own part, my constant prayer is that I may know the worst of my case, whatever the knowledge may cost me. I know that an accurate estimate of my own heart can never be otherwise than lowering my own self-esteem. So if you accurately know your heart, you, you can't go too low. Uh, but God forbid that I should be spared the humiliation which springs from the truth. The sweet red apples of self-esteem are deadly poison. Isn't that great? The sweet red apples of self-esteem are deadly poison. Who would wish to be destroyed thereby?
The bitter fruits of self-knowledge are always healthful, especially if washed down with the waters of repentance and sweetened with a draft from the wells of salvation. He who loves his own soul will not despise them. So, can't end better than that. Thank you. We'll see you guys next week.